I, I, the same thing goes for any anything that differs from your opinions or your beliefs. Does interacting with it change your belief in any way? Like, what is what is that fear? And if you change in any way, that's actually a good thing. Welcome to the Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Hello and welcome to The Dismantle, a show for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. Thanks so much for listening. If you are new, each week we attempt to dismantle or take apart an issue that has or has the potential to be problematic for the church by dialoguing with a guest who has insight or experience with that subject. Now, we won't always agree, but we won't argue. Our goal is to gain understanding and perspective by sharing our views in a way that builds bridges, not barriers. Our guest this week is Nate Nakao. Nate is the director of Jersey Brew Theology in Montclair, New Jersey, a venue designed to develop interfaith community through healthy, meaningful, and eclectic dialogue in brewery and pub settings. Their podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Nate, welcome to The Dismantle. Thanks. Glad to be here. Nate, thanks so much for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited that we both have beers in our hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are you drinking? Um, I'm drinking a, uh, a Founders, oh, damn it, I don't remember the name, and I'm drinking it out of a out of a beautiful ceramic cup um, as opposed to the bottle. So That's I don't fantastic. Know the labels in, in I've front got of something, yeah. some IPA. It's nice. great. <laughs> uh, and as we uh, sip on these, Nate, how did you get introduced to church, to faith? What's some of your background with spiritual stuff? So I grew up in a... Um, uh, Baptist environment, um, and actually, it was a fundamentalist environment. Okay, um, and that was basically my upbringing from the time I was five years old through till I graduated college. Okay. Um, went to a uh, Baptist high school um, that was connected to our to our church, and then ended up attending um, Bob Jones University no in way. Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, all right. Good for you. Yeah. You made um, it out. <laughs> I, yeah, by the skin of my teeth. Um, and by by the time I hit my my junior year of college, that was when I became increasingly unconvinced of the whole uh, Christian thing. Hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of wandered around for a little bit. So I used to tell this story with uh, kind of this attitude of, um, well, I, I left Christianity and then I came back, but I really didn't. Um, hmm. I didn't fully explore um, what was going on out there. I always was surrounded. Not that that's a bad thing or a good thing, um, but I think from my perspective, uh, where I had gone was a little farther away from Christianity than I think I was willing to admit at the time, but I was still very much embedded um, in uh, in fundamentalism. Okay. Um, and after uh, after graduating college, after leaving the church that I grew up in, uh, found myself in the whole mega church environment. Mm-hmm. Um, went to uh, one of New Jersey's uh, fastest growing uh, mega churches for a number of years, and even worked part time there um, in children and family ministry. And then got a full-time job um, also doing children's and, and family ministries at another uh, burgeoning megachurch. Mm. Um, so my years at Bible college and then um, in the ministry uh, doing pastoral work. You know how they say, never find out how the sausage is made? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found out how the sausage was made. Yeah, I got and you. And it was not pretty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it kind of puts a uh, a whole damper on even going to church. Oh yeah, it really does. Uh, I think what really 
took its toll on me more than anything else um, was the combination of hypocrisy with this judgmental attitude. Mm. Um, and some some would say that hypocrisy alone would turn them off, but we're all hypocrites. Right. Um, we all put on a facade, live one way, and then say something else, which doesn't bother me because I do that every day. Sure. Um, we all I, have Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> um, what really bothered me was uh, lording these ideas over other people and then telling that you're telling us you don't measure up. Um, and you're because you're not a living a particular standard or b um, believing a certain set of beliefs um, or even simply questioning uh, the beliefs that were you know spoon fed um, mm. every day. And they talk about uh, one of the churches that I worked for uh, talked often about um, deep theology. Okay, um, but really it was just one corner of one camp of one faction of the the breadth and depth that is Christian theology. Yeah. Um, and they held on to that as though that were deep theology while being fearful of what happens elsewhere. Um, so um, they they were entrenched in, I don't know how many of, of the audience is familiar with um, uh, the, ref, the neo-reformed Calvinism, mm -hmm. some of the big names in there being like John Piper and Mark Driscoll. Sure. Um, so they loved that kind of stuff. Um, meanwhile, some of the deep thinkers outside, um, like your Richard Rohr and Peter Rollins, who are um, very much a part of the Christian camp, they are anathema. They're heretics. Right. And uh, that bothered me. Mm. That really did because there was so much depth. There was so much there. Um, and that's uh, not to jump ahead too much, but that's kind of what what started a little bit of my journey away from uh, from those environments. Now, where would you say you're at with your whole faith journey now? I would say that I'm in a more ecumenical place, if I could borrow some, you know, fearful 90s parlance. Sure. Um, I, I find that um, faith and spirituality um, coupled with uh, religious history can produce a very um, robust sense of interacting with beliefs, with worldviews, with um, your own internal spirituality. Um, so for me, I would still call myself natively Christian, mm -hmm. um, though I seek to, you know, broaden my language, as it were, um, using that metaphor. Um, we might touch on a little bit later. Sure. Um, but this metaphor of religion as language, I, I, my desire is to be multilingual. Um, but I, but I always treat Christianity as my mother tongue. Um, I still adhere to and um, and try to follow the teachings of of Jesus um, as as much as possible. I thought, you know, he's he's a pretty pretty dope guy. So, <laughs> well, Nate, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so today on The Dismantle, we're talking about interfaith dialogue, something you kind of touched on, and I can't wait to, to kind of unpack a little bit. You sent me this amazing quote by Rabbi Rami Shapiro, uh, and he says this, Religions are like languages. No language is true or false. All languages are of human origin. Each language reflects and shapes the civilization that, it's, that speaks it. There are things you can say in one language that you cannot say or say as well in another. And the more languages you speak, the more nuanced your understanding of life becomes. Judaism is my mother tongue, yet in matters of the spirit I strive to be multilingual. 
that's a phenomenal quote, which, you know, I would encourage our listeners to go back and kind of, you know, unpack that a little bit. But Nate, where did you start with this kind of pursuit of being multilingual in your faith? Um, so my my dad's family um, kind of is all over the place uh, when it comes to spirituality. And growing up in a fundamental env environment, that was scary to me. But mm. the more I kind of looked into what they uh, believed and what they practiced, I grew kind of fascinated by it. So my dad is Japanese. I'm first gen. Um, so I have a, a pretty deep connection to my my ethnic roots there. Okay. Um, at least I hope I do. <laughs> nice. uh, I'm very American uh, for whatever that's worth. But um, I, I really appreciate um what i see from my family there and so um i was intrigued by zen buddhism hmm. and um a little bit by shinto but uh shinto didn't really hit my radar much until until later to me that was simply ancestor worship and that was that um buddhism was a little bit more fascinating probably because of how much it's kind of infiltrated the west um, and how we're really talking about it and then so i stumbled on this book by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, called uh, Living Buddha, Living Christ. And what I found was so much parallelism between what the Buddha taught and what the Christ taught. And I, I couldn't get past the fact that so much of what Jesus was teaching was almost direct translation uh, from what the Buddha was teaching. kind of look at uh, where Jesus was historically, um, he kind of bridged the gap between some of Eastern mysticism and brought it into, um, into Western culture due to the fact that he was living in the Roman Empire. Right. Um, and so that's kind of what started me on this journey, that these great um, teachers and thinkers of, of two, at, at, at the surface, disparate faiths, we're speaking the same language, we're saying the same things. Mm. And that really fascinated me. So um, I read that book a couple times, kind of tried to let it sink in, and that's kind of well, that's what started me on, on this journey. Um, and now currently I think I'm exploring Shinto a lot because that's, um, I, I think I really see that play out in the world. Um, and the world right now is crying out. Every aspect of nature is crying out to be recognized. Um, and we as humans, being the most powerful um, as uh, the most powerful facet of nature, we are mistreating. Um, we're mistreating the, the trees. We're mistreating uh, the earth below us. We're mistreating the ocean. Mm. Um, and everything has uh, a spirit. Everything has um, a personality as it were, sure. and, and they're all crying out. And we're, we're the stewards. You know, if we're, if we're following um, the, the teachings of our, of our Judeo-Christian Bible, we're the ones who are stewarding this earth. That's the charge that, uh, that the divine has given to us. And, and yet we're not doing that. And so where I'm fascinated by Shinto is this understanding of the spirit in everything um, hmm. and the acknowledgement that everything has spirit and the way that I consume something or the way that I use, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the wood that formed this table, um, whether it's uh, the food that I'm about to consume, 
it all has spirit and I need to acknowledge that. And that to me, um, I know it's a little tangential, but that to me is uh, where uh, where I kind of embrace these Shinto ideals. Um, mm. and, and I see that reflected in, um, well, the ideal of, of Christian faith, even though that's not actually in, in practice, especially in the, the most vocal group in, in Christianity being the evangelicals. Sure. How has your fundamentalist family kind of reacted to you pursuing the expansion of your mind and of your faith? Um, my my family actually um, stepped away from fundamentalism. Okay. And uh, I mean, my dad wasn't a native Christian. Um, so uh, in fact, faith and spirituality isn't really a part of his family's um, dialogue. Mm. Um, particularly, like, a lot of Japanese families tend to incorporate spirituality um in their in their day-to-day lives but it's not it's not heavily acknowledged the way it is in western in the western world because we compartmentalize things right um whereas in the eastern world everything just kind of flows out of the way you live your life so um i think christianity was something that he latched onto, and i don't want to speak for him and his um his perspective but it was never something that was native to him um and then for my mom we were well, from my perspective, um, we were in fundamentalism my whole life. Um, from my mom, that was kind of a newer thing. We were there for 20 years, but she was already um, in, she was already in her 30s by the time we entered a, a fundamentalist environment. She came from, um, I think, a Methodist background. And then when, uh, well, it, she's from the Philippines. Um, and they were Methodist in the Philippines. When they came to uh, the U.S., they were uh, more of your kind of, standard mainstream evangelical um sort of non-denominational they were funded by the southern baptist convention but um but it wasn't until um shortly after my brother was born that we uh that we became fundamentalist so it wasn't really part of our our family heritage um now as far as how my evangelical family at large um responds um there there's some curiosity and some concern on the part of some of my family um i do have some relatives who are who couldn't be happier that i'm no longer uh embedded in in evangelicalism but uh but the the thing about my family is that um family family comes first and, and faith is just a part of how we express ourselves as family um so i i don't i don't really experience much pushback everybody just um sort of embraces each other so talking about having interfaith dialogue interfaith connection in my experience, I've noticed that talking to people of other faith immediately draws concern from those around you. Um, and some of the some of the pushback I've even gotten with the show is that uh, doing that can actually dilute your own faith. Uh, what do you think about that? He's, he, feel he's free to like, edit this. He's laughing. Feel free to edit this out. I think it's bullshit. Um, <laughs> so this concept of of diluting, are, are fine, if the only thing you're adding to your drink, if you're drinking a beer, for example, and the only thing you're adding to it is water, then yeah, you're diluting your beer. Um, but uh, think of a Manhattan and everything that goes into that. Uh, an old-fashioned, um, crafting a, a cocktail. You come up with something new. And I'm not saying that, um, you know, uh, putting disparate faiths together creates something, you know, inherently beautiful. 
But like I, like, like I was mentioning and like Rabbi uh, Shapiro said, um, religions are like languages. Um, not only do they, uh, do they shape our worldview and, um, and f- mold the way that we interact with society and with culture and with each other, um, they're a form of communication. And multilingual people have the opportunity to speak and communicate to other people. Um, but not only does, does uh, learning new languages serve to uh, open other channels of communication to people that you would never be able to communicate prior to learning that language, it also helps you to see things in different, in different ways. Um, and it, it gives, like Rabbi Shapiro said, um, it gives you words that can't be used in other languages. Um, a, a word like umami, for instance, in Japanese, it doesn't exist in English. There's no direct English um, translation. We might say something like delicious or savory or salty, um, but when you hear a Japanese person say umami, that's not what they're really saying. Okay. There's something deeper there. Um, there's something that's that's hitting the soul and hitting the tongue in a different way. Um, and f- for me, interfaith conversation, interfaith dialogue does that. It provides me words and provides me perspective that I wouldn't have gained otherwise. Um, so I, again, like, I mean, obvious, obviously because of, of um, what I do, clearly I advocate for interfaith conversation. Um, but I think I'm also far enough removed from evangelicalism. It's been a few years since I've had this kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have less sympathy for people who are, sure. who are struggling with that, with that fear. Um, but I, at the same thing goes for any, anything that differs from your opinions or your beliefs. Does interacting with it change your belief in any way? Like what is, what is that fear? Why, why does it matter um, if you're having conversation with somebody, you know? Um, and if you change in any way, I think that's, that's actually a good thing. Sure. Um, you may or may not convert to another religion. Why are you afraid of that? You know, you're, you are who you are. You're not changing um, the, the trajectory of your life. You're simply continuing down your, your path. There's this big push now, uh, specifically in the bumper sticker community, of this idea of coexisting. Um, would you say that interfaith dialogue is different than coexisting? Um, yeah, because coexisting, um, it, it can lead to um, simply tolerance, um, which I don't, I don't hate. Sure. Um, but why is tolerance the uh, uh, the goal? You know, um, I love what um, Prime Minister um, uh, Justin Trudeau said. Um, I'm going to completely butcher the quote, but something to the effect of, um, "Why should tolerance be the goal? Why can we not embrace each other? Why can we not love each other?" Mm. Um, and one of the one of the key elements of loving someone is learning to speak their language. Um, and, and that's why I think, and whether or not you, 
you get their language. I, well, I'll never be fluent in uh, Shinto. I'll always be fluent in Christianity. That's my mother tongue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never be fluent in Buddhism. I'll never be fluent in, in Islam or Judaism. But as a Christian, when you hear somebody from another faith tradition attempt to speak your faith language um, and, and try to find analogies for, let's say, for example, something like Eucharist, um, it's something that's, that's very dear to the Christian heart, but is meaningless to, um, to a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. But when a Buddhist finds a way to, to connect their ideas and use language like Eucharist, um, this, you, you almost feel an affinity and it breaks down barriers. Sure. Um, and that's what I, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I advocate for interfaith dialogue. Because it helps us to to bridge those barriers and and helps us to uh, to kind of see the unity in in simply being human. And even as you're saying all of that, I mean the 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 imagery of a language keeps coming back to my head in a way that if somebody doesn't necessarily speak English but they're trying to, you don't feel like uh, oh something is being taken from me. In fact, you probably feel empathy. Yeah. And you feel compassion and you now want to try to meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. They might have used the wrong word and they might have not said the phrase exactly, but they're attempting. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of compensate for that and say, okay, this is where our common ground is. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to do with yeah. interfaith uh, dialogue. Absolutely. That's really cool. Now, one of the ways that you do this, or probably the main way, uh, is something called brew theology. Let's talk a little bit about your work with brew theology. So um, brew theology was actually started out in um, Denver, um, but there was it was kind of the the merging of two um, of two things. So out in Denver, um, there was this group called uh, Denver Pub Theology. Um, a friend of mine, Ryan Miller, who also worked at a church here in New Jersey that I that I had worked for. Um, he when he moved out to Denver, he kind of took over that that um, pub theology group and turned it into something more than it was. I don't really know all of the story there, but eventually it became Brew Theology. They started a podcast, and then he had this this dream of, of turning it into a national thing, um, developing chapters all over the country. So he reached out to me, and at the time, uh, I was part of another theology pub here in New Jersey, um, for for those who are unfamiliar with the theology pub or pub theology culture, um, basically it's it's just this loose network of not even really a network. It's just this concept that a few people came up with to to say, hey, let's let's uh, go to a pub and talk theology, whatever type of theology that looked like, whether it was Christian theology or or otherwise. Um, and so I was in one that was a heavily uh, Calvinist um, hmm. type of theology pub and over time um the leader predestined to be there sorry possibly (laughs) keep going yeah uh from time immemorial (laughs) yeah um for the glory of god soli deo gloria is that how it goes Uh, (laughs) yep nailed um, it (laughs) so over uh over time the the guy who was organizing that and i um we started reading stuff outside of um john piper and okay. matt uh, matt chandler and mark driscoll and all those guys um we started kind of my journey was uh was through 
the supposed polar opposite, I'm putting air quotes up here, the polar opposite, quote sure. unquote, um, of, of Calvinism being that of Arminianism. Hmm. Which, uh, in in reality, they're just two sides of the same atonement right. coin. Um, but I was reading um, some uh, some Wesleyan thought, and that kind of drew me towards um, a more open um, approach to theism, and eventually down towards process theology. Um, started reading some uh, John Cobb and Catherine Keller, and. As these conversations were happening between me and the the, uh, the leader of the old uh, Jersey Theology Pub, um, we started bringing those conversations to our theology pub, and everyone left. Wow. <laughs> uh, I mean, it wasn't like uh, a straight up, we're out of here, this is, we can't have these conversations. It was more of a um, lack of interest. Not plus, what we signed up for. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, but also, there was this sense of, we we're not sure this is a good idea. Um, there's a, a little bit of of there's a little of, a little a lot of fear sure. um, in those kinds of theologies. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe the same things, um, you could be you know dancing with heresy, and mm -hmm. heresy is the next step towards hell, which is kind of funny given the fact that they believe in predestination. But anyways, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan got in touch with me and said, "Hey, um, would you want to start a chapter here in, or over there in New Jersey?" and um, it took a little while cause I was still, um, I was still on staff at that church and then eventually left the church and, um, started, uh, serving at another, actually the Mecca of mega churches. That's true. <laughs> um, and, I'll, I'll let your imagination run dear listener. <laughs> um, so I was, uh, I was doing uh production for, uh, for them when I started kind of connecting with the, uh, the brew theology guys and, um, and gals. And eventually I was like, you know what? That's, I, f I feel so much more at home in these conversations than I do listening to a weekly sales pitch. Yeah. Um, were you changed from the inside out? <laughs> wow. An oldie but goodie. It, the best. Yeah. The best. The golden age. Yeah. The golden age. Instead <laughs> of swimming through oceans. We could keep going. We're <laughs> we really, really good. good. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, uh, now um, Denver Brew Theology, um, there, I don't know how many people they have. I think they've got like um, 60 or so people. Um, cool. And they meet weekly. Okay. Um, and they have uh, guest speakers from all over the place. Um, and a, lo a little um, shameless plug for them. They uh, so they just had um, a shaman on on the podcast. They, they had shamanism on the so cool. Oh, it was it was fascinating, yeah. right? Just unbelievable. Um, and then so uh, this week, and I realize that um, listeners are hearing this after the fact, but um, because Halloween is coming up, we're doing Satanism at um, at uh, Jersey Brew Theology, um, and we're hoping, fingers crossed, uh, that we can get some representation from the. Uh, the New Jersey Church of Satan mm. uh, to come and uh, and present or at least share. Very uh, interesting. Yeah. So, so speaking of interfaith dialogue. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, like, as 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 you're talking about this, do you get pushback from the evangelical church for what you're doing, or is it kind of a non-issue? Um, not really. I think the pushback that I get would be on an individual 
um, level. Okay. I have gotten some emails from people, but most of the people who who come at me aren't really in any kind of real leadership um, at evangelical churches. Um, when it comes to official stances, I, most of what I get from from the places that I've been are just kind of like, all right, yeah, the, they do what they do. We're not really, yeah. I, I don't think most churches, most evangelical evangelical churches care um, what we're up to. Um, However, uh, so I started attending um, a UCC church. Okay. And they've officially um, not endorsed us, but they've um, provided a lot of support. Mm. They'll even, um, they even gave me the opportunity to get up and give announcements one Sunday. I'm like, okay. That's pretty cool. And uh, let's talk about brew theology. Um, so that, and, and we, we have a lot of people from that church, uh, attend, uh, attend our group, but that church is, is fantastic. It's like full of misfits. There are atheists, there are Buddhists, there are, um, you know, gay, straight, trans, bi, we're all there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fun environment. So of course, something like brew theology would, would be fits. attractive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, fits. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, now it seems a lot of this initiative, for progressive thinking and interfaith dialogue, at least to me, and and I would love to be educated on this, a lot of that seems to be coming from a Christian perspective. Christians are kind of the ones who are uh, kind of fostering those conversations, really, really quarterbacking those conversations. Um, is that is that accurate in your experience, where you're finding most of the Christians to be the catalyst for that? Um, yes and no. Um, I think... The yes comes from the fact that that's where I come from. Okay. Um, and so a lot of the connections that I've made that got me into this environment were, you know, from previous connections in Christian churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found entering this space um, was that there are so many other people there. Um, but I think, and I could be way off about this, but I think part of the uh, the negative aspects of um, Christianity, particularly evangelical Christianity, um, having this, um, you know, go get them leadership attitude hmm. is, uh, I guess the positive side of that is that when we enter these spaces, um, there's the humility of knowing that we're entering territory that we don't really uh, understand. Sure. Um, because it's languages that we're not familiar with. So, we inherently walk into those spaces with uh, some humility, um, unlike what we did in in Christian environments. Right. I mean, you got the answer there for you know gangbusters, yeah, all that. Yep. And then even like the whole Rick Warren kind of leadership model. Sure. Um, but what that plays into is this fact that we'll um, we're a little pushy, um, hmm. and and we want to talk to people. We want to when we get excited about something, we want to dive in. So you can talk about anything at these meetings, like anything. Basically. I mean, um, so every every Brew Theology chapter has a, a group of moderators. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that we do it at Jersey, I don't know how the other chapters do it, but the way that we do it at Jersey Brew Theology is, um, you know, I'll kind of uh, shoot, we have a, a text group and I'll shoot a text out. Hey, how do you guys feel about this topic? Any topics that you guys want to want to touch on? And we all just kind of throw ideas around. And every, every once in a while, I'll toss the... The question out to our um, to our group at large. Okay. Um, I try to get the topic list uh, taken care of um, 
several months in advance so that people can prepare. Look, yeah, prepare. And, yeah. and then, you know, uh, some people might just, and, and we don't really care if people show up every uh, every session or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so some someone might be interested in uh, a topic on feminism, uh, but they might not be interested in uh, a topic on Kierkegaard. That's fine. You know, um, right. So you, you can pick and choose which ones you're you're going to show up to. Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And then the hope is that eventually they'll just come because we're all a great group of people that drinks beer together. You know, which perfect segue. Talk to me about the intentionality of the location of a pub, the uh, the fact that it's brew theology. You know, beers and cocktails and all this other stuff. Highly suggestive to the devil's playground in some Christian circles, but very intentional on your part. Uh, so talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some of that comes from the the rascally attitude of the neo-reformed um, camp that okay. they're like, oh, we're going to drink beer, grow beers, wear flannels, and, and you know, say shit all the time. Which um, both of us have, you yeah. know, most of that right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the carryover from from those guys, hmm. um, but then there is some intentionality because um, we could very easily be like, well, you know, we want to adopt the hipster um, mentality and, and go to you know the the third wave coffee houses and, right. and drink matcha, uh, which is good for you, by the way. It's really good. Yeah, um, but I mean, we went with with um, with beer and, and alcoholic beverages just because um, it. It fosters conversation naturally. It puts mm. people at ease. Um, people feel comfortable when they're in a pub or a brewery setting. Um, it's the kind of place that just fosters conversation. Mm. Um, so that's part of there's there's intentionality behind that. Yeah. Um, but we do have the option um, for if anybody wants to start a chapter, um, we do have branding and stuff for coffee tea. Um, oh, so cool. if you if you've got a group that you know you're for whatever reason. Um, not willing to do the the brew the beer side of mm-hmm. brew theology. We've got you know branding for coffee tea nice. uh, brew theology. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Now talk to me about some of the dialogue. Now everybody's got a beer. Everybody's sitting down, and you start the topic. What does that look like? Obviously, you know, and for our listeners, you can listen to some of the podcasts, and and they do a pretty good job of uh, depicting what what an actual brew theology event would look like. But uh, for those of our listeners who don't know. Uh, you know, how, how does that kind of play out? So what we do is uh, we we set guidelines for the conversation. Um, so some of the topics do get heated. Um, we'll, we've gone into some political topics as well. Um, we had one uh, a few months ago uh, called Hashtag, um, which was an exploration into various social media movements um, like, you know, Hashtag Me Too, um, Hashtag Take a Knee, uh, Black Lives Matter, et cetera. And we kind of talked about what that means. Um, but we set these these ground rules for conversation. Um, and our, our conversation rules are um, no soapboxes are allowed. Um, so no one person or viewpoint gets the quote-unquote last word. Um, it, basically, every opinion is valid and should be heard. Um, we respect all others in their views. That's our second rule. Um, basically... I like to say you might not agree, but that's okay because it's why we're here. Right. Um, if you agree, you're not going to learn something. Um, right. And then uh, our third rule is we extend courtesy by listening well. Um, our our goal is to learn about another view, not just you know wait for our turn to talk. Mm. Um, and then uh, fourth rule is everything is up for a discussion. 
In other words, there's no end of debate. Um, you can continue the conversation. There's like, we, we welcome rabbit trails. Um, the only time that there is a quote unquote end of discussion is if things are getting way out of hand and one of the table moderators says, okay, let's move on. You know, we're, we're hitting the next question. Yeah. 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 Um, and then there's the catch all rule um, that encompasses all the other rules. It's don't be a dick. Yep. So, or as they say on the podcast, don't be an eggplant emoji. <laughs> yeah, I love. I as soon the first time I heard that, I was like, "What? What? Oh, they're <laughs> saying don't be a dick." Okay. <laughs> yep. I love that, yeah. and it sounds like you know you probably have a bunch of people who are on, who are game for that. Mm -hmm. Who they don't all believe the same things. They don't necessarily agree with each other one hundred percent of the time, or or, or maybe even ten percent of the time. But they're up for good dialogue. Yeah. And that's really cool. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating how it plays out. But one thing that I've found um, is that we're all about shared values, if not shared beliefs. Hmm. Um, so we value the same things. We value good conversation. Um, we value friendship. Um, we value love and companionship. And we value good beer. Yeah. Um, and then when you put values um, above beliefs, love happens you know yeah <laughs> hashtag love wins <laughs> nice it's interesting because i think sometimes within the christian camp we look at people as projects mm. and not necessarily you know what do we value similarly mm -hmm. uh but i think at least for me i've been more surprised that i share values with people that don't believe what i believe more mm -hmm. than with people that i believe the same thing yeah yeah I, and that's Part of what started me on this journey was that I found myself in this sort of kind of an inherent agreement with people that I cognitively disagreed with. Yeah. Um, and the more I explored that, the more I found, well, there's something else below the surface that's, that's connecting me to these people. And it's not what I believe or what they believe. So, Nate, what's something that the church can do to kind of move in a more positive direction uh, to foster interfaith dialogue Maybe we're going to a, a brew theology event, but maybe we're not. What's something that you would suggest that we start doing? Well, I think one of the things, I mean, I have so many uh, criticisms for the evangelical church. Um, I think one of the things, for me personally, what moved me beyond uh, dogmatism and beyond holding so tightly to a belief system was realizing that the the core of the Christian faith isn't the Bible, um, it's Jesus. Hmm. So you call yourself a Christian, you're a follower of the Christ, um, you know, notwithstanding all the baggage and, and, and dialogue that's go going sure. on about um, cosmic Christ versus the person of Jesus and whatever. But anyway, in any case, um, the, the core of, of Christian teaching shouldn't be the Bible because so much of that is debatable and it's, it's language that our, you know, Americans in particular um, and, and Westerners at large just don't really understand. And there's a lot of scholarship that needs to be done. There's a lot of study that needs to be done before you can accurately um, parse out mm -hmm. um, anything from, from the Bible. Right. Not to mention the fact that it's a deeply human and flawed book. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful um, library of books, but it's deeply human. Um, and so when, if, if the church is willing to 
to take a step in that direction and stop putting the Bible on a pedestal that it doesn't belong on and and, and actually doesn't want. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that I used to harp on a lot is that the Bible isn't the Word of God; it never claims to be. Um, and when it talks about the Word of God, it's referring to a person. Um, I think it was Matthew Paul Turner who um, posted this on his Facebook page once. That uh, something to the effect of, um, the uh, you know, the word of God is living, is powerful, and when he was 18, he grew a beard. Um, <laughs> and so so if we can get to that place yeah, where we realize that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, rather than the word of God being... Uh, These 66 books. Yeah. Um, for evangelicals, 66 books. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> um, then I think we're at a place where we can start moving beyond that and we can realize that sacred texts are sacred, um, but they're not infallible or inerrant. They're sacred because of the value that we as humans place on them. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, but if we harp on this, this inerrancy belief, we'll never see past the texts or rather we'll never see past our interpretations of the texts. Mm. Um, because I can have conversations and, and argue back and forth all day with somebody over the same set of, uh, of words in the Bible. Um, but I'm seeing something different from what they're seeing. Um, so I think if the church could step away from the Bible for a bit, and just look at Jesus and look at how, how Jesus lived his life and, and talked to people. I think they would be better poised to have healthy um, interfaith dialogue. Hmm. And not, not for the sake of changing their own minds, but for the sake of opening, um, of, of, of being a more loving and Christ-like space. That's awesome. So. That's a great word, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people find you online? Maybe something you're working on or something from culture you're digging right now? Yeah, so um, I oh God, I'm everywhere. Um, so I I play and coach hockey. Um, I'm constantly tweeting about um, sports because I love sports, but I'm also a huge nerd. Um, so if you follow me on any of my personal social media, um, which is just look for Nate Nakow anywhere, you'll find me. Um, you're probably going to get an earful of um, stuff about Arsenal Football Club. The Montreal Canadiens. There you go. The um, Metropolitan Rivers. Um, hockey culture in general. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. But then, as far as Brutheology, um, head over to Brutheology.org, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Brutheology. I think on Twitter, we're actually at Brut underscore Theology. Um, and then the Jersey stuff is um, at Jersey Brew Theo on Twitter, um, but at Jersey Brew Theology everywhere else. Cool. And we'll list all that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. And it was a lot. <laughs> That's okay. But Nate, thanks so much for making the time. I really yeah, appreciate it. Thank you, it. Joe. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the topic today your experience, and ways we can continue to create community. Visit the website at dismantlepod.com. And until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. You've been listening to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Visit us at dismantlepod.com. <laughs>